I've entitled the message this morning, uh, Are You in the Family? Are You in the Family? Uh, Paul writes, and we've been in a series um, in Philippians, and then we took a break from it for the Advent season. And uh, there's going to be a very special service next week, I might add. Uh, We won't be in Philippians, but uh, it will be a very special service that you won't want to miss. Uh, An exciting time about one of the most important subjects that the Lord has for us. And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you next Lord's Day. I hope you'll be able to be here and hope the weather cooperates with us. But Paul writes to the Philippian church, if you've not studied it or if you've kind of forgotten where we have been, but you didn't get your finger in, the, uh, in, the, in there to remember and read up on it to, uh, to refresh your minds. But he writes to the Philippian church as though they were a fully functioning division of this larger company, this larger business, so to speak. And if we were to talk about the church in business terms, we might say something like this this morning. The business in this case, the business, the company, is the Christian faith. And the product that the company is producing is the gospel, the good news, the spreading of the gospel. In fact, the Philippian church is described by Paul as a stellar example of a division of the company. And it was, uh, it was stellar because it was fulfilling expectations at a significant level. So much so that God wrote about it in his history book. We call it the Bible. God wrote about it. He gave us this tremendous story about the church at Philippi uh, that it was a stellar example of certain things that really pleased God. The company producing well, so to speak. Have you ever noticed this, the way some companies describe themselves and their employees? Uh, I, we see it all the time. I've seen it. Uh, sometimes a company will describe its uh, staff, its uh, employees, as family. Now, they aren't a real family member in the sense of bloodline. Uh, their DNA is not a part of uh, the, the head of the company or whatever, but in the sense of shared values, and shared goals, their family. Now, whether or not that's a good idea for strategy for a company uh, to describe itself as a big family is debatable. But there is one thing that statistics cannot lie about. The facts are the facts. The truth is that family is a big word when it comes to business. I read an interesting statistic the other day, and I want to read it for you. Maybe we got it on screen. I can't remember if I put it up or not. From the U.S. Bureau of Census. Think about this. This is, I quote it. According to the U.S. Bureau of the Census, about 90% of American businesses are family-owned or controlled, ranging in size from two-person partnerships to Fortune 500 firms. These businesses account for half of the nation's employment and half of her gross national product, unquote. I had no idea that the numbers were so high when it comes to family-owned or family-influenced business. And to think, think about it, to think that they account for half the jobs that people have in the United States of America and to think that their combined efforts contribute to half 
of the gross national product in America. That's amazing to me. Who wouldn't want to be a part of something that successful? Who wouldn't want to be a part of family business in America? Something that has helped make America the economic power that it is worldwide. I remember growing up that my grandmother on my father's side married a man from Hungary. I was in the third grade when that happened. We called him Grandpa Frank. He learned a trade, Grandpa Frank learned a trade in the military working on transmissions during one of the wars in Europe. He eventually, and it's too long to tell the story, but he eventually escaped Germany and came to America. Eventually, he met my grandmother, and together they built a family business, a family business called Hofbauer Transmission. It started slowly and with great difficulty in the beginning, but with his expertise with transmissions and my grandmother's financial support and knack for managing the books, they became fairly successful in time. Now, my grandmother had a full-time job the whole time Hofbauer Transmission was developing. Her job was full-time at a place called Timken Roller Bearing in Canton, Ohio. It was a steel industry. And she was a hard worker, I remember my grandmother. Even as a young boy, I can remember asking her one day, Grandma, why, why do you, after you get up early and you go to the Timken Roller Bearing and you work all day at Timken Roller Bearing and then you come home, you don't, even, you don't come home, but you leave there and you go straight to the shop, to the Hofbauer Transmission Shop, and you work there until dark. I said, Grandma, why, why do you do those two jobs? Why do you work so hard? And why are you so invested in Hofbauer Transmission? And, and this is what she said, and I, I will never forget it. I remember it as though it was yesterday. It went like this, and I quote, There's nothing like family for trust, loyalty, honesty, and integrity, unquote. In other words, there's nobody I can put in the business office at Hofbauer Transmission that I can trust anymore that has the mission at more at heart, who is pulling, who is positive, who is helping to take care of the problems, to, re to, to resolve issues, and to help it become a successful enterprise. There's nobody like me that can do that for this man and for this company. And so she did. And I never forgot that. There's just something about being family when running a family business. Now, in a sense, that's what we are here at Lakeview. We're part of an organization that markets the gospel, and it produces disciples. We market the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves us from our sins if we come to him in relationship. And what we produce, hopefully, is disciples of Jesus. We're called Christians. It's like a, it's like a division of a great company of Christians. Jesus is the CEO, and you and I, as members of the family, have this unique role and purpose in the company to help it become success, a successful division of the business. That's what my grandmother did for Hofbauer Transmission, and that's the privilege that I have 
And that's the privilege that each of you have, especially if you are members or if you are people that are considering membership or if you may be people who don't think membership matters very much. I want you to think about some of these things this morning. There's something unique and special about belonging to the family, and and there are advantages to it as well. For example, if you were to become a barista at Starbucks coffee shop, and you were to, for some reason or another, need to move, let's say you were a barista at the Marion Starbucks or at the Gas City Starbucks, and you had to move to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or you had to move to Washington, D.C., or you had to move out west to Phoenix or to some other city or whatever where there was a Starbucks, what do you think the HR person at the the other city where you're going, what do you think that HR person might do with your your, uh, application to work at Starbucks in the new city compared to someone else that they didn't know that they had an application to work there. What do you think they would do between those two? One, I don't know this person at all. Don't know if they've never had any coffee barista experience and never worked at Starbucks before. And and you've got this person who's worked successfully. Hopefully they left under uh, goodwill and uh, with a good relationship. And I've got this one over here. Hmm, let's see. Which one should I give the job to? You see, you've got an inside track as long as you left the company on good terms. And you'd probably have a pretty good chance of getting the job because you were a part of the Starbucks family, so to speak. Really, all you have to do is show them your papers. Just show them your papers on your application. Show me your papers. Show me your background. Show me your work experience. Tell me the name of your manager. Uh, Tell me how many months, years, or whatever that you've served. Tell me how many different roles within the the coffee shop that you you have uh, experienced. Show me your papers, and and chances are you're in. You know, Wycliffe Bible translators that we were talking about just a little bit ago, uh, you know, they, they have been translating God's Word for over 70 years. Seventy long years, Wycliffe Bible translators have been trying to get the Word of God in the language of every, uh, every people group. They're working hard to see that a Bible translation project is going on in every language on the face of the earth by 2025. That is why they're, they're doing things like Mike is going to, to be a part of. That's why they're a part of that, because of their goal to do that. Now, tomorrow or whenever he takes off, Mike is going to be joining a team that is working on Bible translation in that country, Burma, in this particular case. And the reason he can do that is not because he was just willing to go. That's the first thing. He needed to be willing. But he also gets to go be a part of the Wycliffe team because he is qualified to go. Why is he qualified to go? Because he is a part of the family. How do they know that he's a part of the family? Somewhere along the line, Mike Rohrbach had to show Wycliffe his papers. Call it whatever you want, but he had to, he had to fill out an application and he had to explain some things that are important to this Christian organization. And once he showed them his papers, and by that I mean, 
I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again believer. I have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I have invited Him to be my Lord and Savior. And here's how I've been living my life. And here are some of the jobs that I've had to serve Jesus. And here are some of the roles that I have played. And here are some of the experiences that I have had in sharing my faith. And so on and so forth. And once He showed them His papers, and they had a chance to digest that, they obviously said, Mike, you're in. Come on with us. You're in. You're part of the family. You're part of the Wycliffe family. Now, he's not signed on with Wycliffe as one of their agents or so, but, but he's, he's in the family. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? We live in a world of fake news. We live in a world of deception. And churches, because of their mission to lost people, confused people, people who don't know better because they've not heard it in some cases, not understood the Christian walk and why it's important for them, lost people, confused people, non-Christians should be populating our churches around the world and checking out our services and checking out our programs. That's what we do. We market the gospel. We produce disciples. Amen? And so that's why we want confused, lost, discouraged, whatever people to come our way. But guess what? They should not be running the family business. Amen? Shouldn't be running things. Now, if I told you down through the years, the different churches that Cynthia and I have been a part of and the various boards that I have, we have worked with over the years, I can tell you some horror stories of people that I don't think were even saved, but were running the family business. The family business, Jesus is the CEO. And there are certain things where we need to be able to show our papers that we're really a part of the family. I hope you follow that line of reasoning. So membership is a way of saying, show me your papers that you belong to the family. Show me your papers. Show me who you are. Show me what you're about. Don't just tell me uh, what you'd like me to hear. Don't just try to schmooze me or massage me your way into something. Just, I want to know what's the real deal here. Show me your papers. You know, when I came to Marion to talk with the pastoral search team, one, one of the things they checked was my papers. When I came and I met with members of the, the board of this church, they, in effect, they didn't say it this way, but in effect, what they meant was, show us your papers. We don't know you. We don't know your wife. How, how can we know whether you are an acceptable candidate to, to lead this work? Because we want, we want a bona fide family member to be a part of leading this work. What is your relationship with the company, with the Christian faith? Had I gone through the rigors of demonstrating that I, I really was a bona fide family member, family member of the church of Jesus Christ and of, of the walk of faith. And I can tell you that if I had failed to confirm my family connection to Jesus, if I had not been able to demonstrate that I was truly a bona fide family member, I can tell you the interview was over. They would have said, thank you very much for traveling here from Ohio. 
but here's, here's uh, 25 bucks to help you with gas. Thanks for coming. And don't call us, we'll call you. Now question. Was it insulting to me to have to show this group my papers? Do you think that was an insult to me? Do you think that my having to pull my papers out, so to speak, and demonstrate who I am, where I've served, what I've done, just same thing what Mike did for Wycliffe and others or whatever, do you think that that was somehow an insult? I will tell you, not only was it not an insult, it made me feel more secure and thankful that these were people of maturity, that they were not about to let someone come into the ranks of leadership who was not reasonably mature and had some kind of background and experience and something to offer the ministry. And so I was not insulted. In fact, it's the opposite. I was proud to show them my papers. I was proud to give them my name, rank, and serial number. I was happy to do it. I was happy to say, look, I may, I'm not perfect, and I maybe could have done better in some areas, but look, here's what I have done, and here's who my wife is. And here's where we come from. And you can, you can even call these people and these people and these people and check up on, I'm proud to give you my name, rank, and serial number. It turns out that when I did that, what I discovered was brothers and sisters in the company. I, I met some new friends. I, I met some new family members. And, and, and that search committee turned into a local board. And that local board turned into leaders in the church and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and people working with the children. And then it exposed me to a staff team. And, and we're, we're like we're all part of this one great big family. And that's one of the reasons why we should love and accept one another so profusely in the family of God. I wish I could get an amen. It'd make me feel better. I'm going to preach it anyway, but I, it would make me feel better. <laughs> Because it would say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're tracking with me on this. You're tracking with me. Yeah, since the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, involvement in the church, it, I hope you get this. If, if you didn't get anything else, please, you know, you hear this once in a while, but I really mean this. Since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, involvement in the church is the best way to say to God and the world, we are part of his family. It's the best way. None of the churches are perfect. None of the companies are perfect. They all have work to do. We've got work to do. We've got changes we need to make. We've got improvements we need to make. We need, we've got stuff going on in the life of the church, and every church in this city does too, that we need to stop. And some of our people are doing some stuff that are naughty and should stop it, and we need to help them. There's all kinds of work for us to do. But since his coming, involvement in the church of Jesus Christ is the best way to say, God, I'm glad to be a part of your family. The world, I'm part of the family of God. And the reason that's important is because that is how Jesus wants it. It's not because I thought it was a good idea. It's because that is how Jesus wants it. Jesus calls the church his what? Bride. Jesus calls the church his bride. Now, he doesn't have many, many, many brides and multiple wives. Trust me. He has one bride, which is a collective group of everyone who has believed in his death 
in his burial, in his resurrection from the dead for the sins of his people. And his people would be those people who have received him into their lives. So if you have not received Jesus into your life, then you have to conclude from what I'm saying that you're not a part of his family. You may have been, you were created by God the Father, but you are not a part of his spiritual family until you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll explain more about that in a moment. Are you part of the family? Now, if you are, if you are part of the family of God, then you are on a life trajectory with the rest of the bride of Christ. We're all on a trajectory in our spiritual journey as a part of the bride, as a family member of the bride of Christ. It means that you are saved from your sin. And listen to this. And that you are daily allowing the transforming power of Christ to change you from the inside out. God's family members don't need membership rules to live the life. They are already self-starting, changing from the inside out, not from the rules imposed upon them from the outside. So let's remember that. Let's remember that. I got one amen from the amen corner. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, that's why many of you, and I wish it would be more, are reading your Bible and you're applying the truth on a regular basis. You're not just reading to get through it to check off. Some people do that. Some people poo-poo a Bible reading guide because you missed the whole point. You're just trying to check off and read through and say, I did it. No, no. Members of the family, the true members of the family of God read it so that God can speak to us and change us from the inside out. That's why you're sitting in a Sunday school class, if you are, because the Sunday school class gives you an opportunity to mull over the Word of God and to apply it personally and change from the inside out. That's why you're that's why some of you are at this church and not some other church, not because some other church is, is less than this, but you're at this church on purpose and glad for it because you're sitting in a service where the emphasis is upon studying, I mean studying the Word of God so that we are engaged in continuing education. Spiritual continuing education. What My wife is a nurse. She has to take continuing education. It, it, we have to pay for that. And we pay for it gladly. For her to be up to date, up to speed with the latest information. On your job, you have continuing education. Our daycare director and our preschool director has to do a, a, a continuing education all the time. Am I right, Trish? It's going on all the time to make sure we're compliant with the laws, the rules, the regulations, and whatever. That's why you're sitting in a service like that, so you can be engaged in continuing ed education that stretches us. Now, sometimes it stretches us, and sometimes it challenges us with lead electric guitar in here, for goodness sake, sometimes. This guy's not crazy. He's sensitive. He didn't blow your eardrums out. 
He can use wisdom and direction. There can be all kinds of good things that can come from these kinds of experiences. Amen? Amen? Amen. Changing from the inside out. Now, let's get to the text before I run out of time. Philippians 1. We're going to pick back up where, I'm going to pick up with verse 3. And let me just, here's what I'm going to do. Just for sake of time, I'm going to walk through some of these verses. I'm going to try to get to 11, verse 11. And I'm just going to make some commentary in between. And, and, and I, what I'm hoping you will do is I'm hoping that you prayed what I prayed for you and for us and for myself before I started. And that was, God, speak to me. Say something to me, Tim. Say something to Timoteo that he needs to be a better servant for Jesus. Say something to me, God. I'm sitting here thinking about the music. No, say something to me that I need, that you want me to have, that will help me to please you better. So here he goes, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's talking about the Philippians uh, and the church there. Now we studied, I'm going to stop there. We studied about memories, if you remember that. And you can go back and you can pick up this DVD if you want to order it. But we talked about memories. Everybody's got memories. And sometimes memories can be great. And sometimes memories can really pull us down. And, and we looked at the way the Apostle Paul handled tough memories because he had plenty in his life. And he showed us how God can heal memories. And with God's help, we can, we can, with God's help, we can hit the delete button on some things that are so painful to us when we reminisce and go back through it and rehearse it, that it can diminish our countenance and it can, it can discourage our effectiveness for Jesus. Now, I understand some memories, they can't just go away 100% and they never ever are around, but they don't have to beat the time out of us all the time. Amen? And Paul showed us that. Paul had every reason in the world to be sad. But the next line that we read says, he was not sad. In fact, he was the opposite of sad. He was joyful. Now, I can promise Mike when he gets to Burma, there's going to be some stuff he isn't going to like. There's going to be some communist influence over the years that is going to be devastating to the country. And there are going to be some things that they are not going to be very much fun. And food selections may be a little bit different. And there's going to be some stuff in there that could bring his countenance down. But my guess is, and knowing Mike the way I do, there will still be joy in his heart and in his spirit. Verse 4, Paul says, I'm always, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And we studied about how Paul, of all people, had reason to be sad. He had reason to be discouraged. I mean, the guy was beat up and thrown in jail every time he turned around. And, and, and he's writing this from prison of all places. You know, one of the times he was in prison, he and Silas, they, they began to sing. Remember? They sang with joy. He, he never wanted to go to Philippi, if you remember, as we got into this series. Paul never wanted to go to Philippi. God made him go. And, and, and the experiences weren't so good. And he had trouble and he had opposition when he got there. And after he preached and preached and preached the gospel, he only had one convert. Her name was Lydia. And one. He had one. So we're going to write a book about that one? We're going to write a book about Paul, you never should have gone there because you only had one convert in the whole time you were preaching. But God said, go there anyway and do what I tell you to do, say what I tell you to say. And yet his joy was an inner joy. And he, yet he still had a peace that was unrelated to his circumstances. 
And so what we learn from, from Paul is that God's joy, here's a good one, God's joy supersedes circumstances and hard places in our lives. Just don't quit. Just don't give up. I'm coming to that. And then he reminds us in that one little verse there, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He reminds us, talk less about one another and pray more. Talk less, pray more. Talk less about board members. Pray more. Talk less about your Sunday school teacher. Pray more. Talk less about the people that you met or the people that snubbed you or didn't shake your hand or didn't smile at you in the foyer and pray more. Talk less, pray more. That's what Paul teaches us. One of the ways you and I can pray more for one another is to be in a small group. That's why the Wesleyan Church wants you to get engaged in something. Why? No man is an island. Everybody needs somebody. And if you get in a small group, there's a greater chance that you're going to be able to share your burden and get prayed for than not. You might even, you might even get a miracle. And for those of you who are computer literate, let me give this thought to you. You need to be on the church prayer chain distribution list. Sometimes that communication list, that, that line of communication, sometimes get, is so fast and it is so in, engaged in the needs of the church that sometimes the need that somebody has gets put out to the prayer chain before the pastors even know about the need. Am I right, Jim? That happens more times than not. That people know we need prayer. We want the pastor to know. We want the pastor to pray, yes. But we basically really need people to pray. We got an emergency here. And so they hit the prayer button right off the bat. So if you don't get those, how are you going to pray for people? How are you going to know about things, especially if you're not in a small group? So I encourage you. Say, how do you sign up? All you got to do is call the office, stop by, leave your name at the Welcome Center, whatever. We'll get you on that list. And it's not for gossip. It's not for, oh, did you hear about? No, it's about talk less and pray more. Amen? Amen. Now, he goes on in verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what's that related to? To the verse before. I'm always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of what? In view of the fact that you have participated in the launching of the gospel. Seek and save the lost, make disciples. Spread the gospel and make disciples. You as a Philippian church have participated in that, in that from the first day that I ask you expose that need until today. And so when we read about the Philippian church's support for his ministry, we find that it was over a long period of time. And we saw that Paul recognized the value of that church's involvement in that kind of support over a period of time, that it effective, affected evangelism, it, effect, it, it required financial support, it required prayer support, even beyond the circle of the church's zip code. And that, my friends, is when we stretch your charity and there's this feeling every once in a while, we have, we, we have too many missionaries and they just come, you know, and they just take up time in the service and we, every time we turn around, there's another missionary coming in or whatever. And if you've ever thought that, if you've ever wondered about that, you need to stop that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Why? 
because there's something about the company business that the CEO has said, go into all the world and take this gospel and teach it and baptize and take it all over the world. I used to say uh, in churches uh, in the past that if you worked on my staff, you would, you would be given an opportunity to have an out-of-country experience for the gospel. I wanted, and I still feel that way, I wanted every person on my staff team to experience what it is like to go overseas or to go abroad, go somewhere different from this place. Now, some people will always be drawn to the zip code where we live. And God wants us to engage in our own zip code. Amen? But not at the expense of the other zip codes around the world. It's not either or, it's both and. Hello? It's both and. So, how many years, Barbara, did you say Lakeview has been supporting you? Over 40 years. Now, you catch her at the back, as at least 10 of you I know are invited to lunch, and you ask her what that has meant to her emotionally, financially, spiritually, in, in every kind of way. Ask her what that 40-year relationship has meant to her and to the ministry in Kenya and some other places where she's been. You ask her. I know what she'll tell you. She'll tell you what the Word of God tells us, what Paul is telling us. It's significant. So significant that Paul says, verse 6, he said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now let me just break away, and I'm going to follow a different, a different avenue here for just a second. For I, listen to this, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It's an interesting verse. And I say that it's interesting because it has become for some people a hill to die on in terms of how they, they interpret this verse. Some people, and well-meaning people, and people that I believe are going to heaven, by the way, have taken this to be a very strong doctrinal statement that says something like this. God chose me. God saved me. God is holding me saved. And God will reward me. Case closed. It's all kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. In other words, God predestined me to be saved. And then God saved me. You didn't have anything to do with it. It was all God's, and that's the way it works. And not only did God save you, He's the one that's keeping you saved. And in the end, He is the one that is going to reward you saved. And nothing can stop that fact once I'm in. I'm in for good, case closed. Some call that once saved, always saved, or a person can never lose their salvation, or once in grace, always in grace, or whatever. Now, you think where I'm going is where I'm going, but I'm not going there. May I suggest that this is not the context of the verse for these well-meaning folks who have taken it to mean something like I just described. 
I'm not poo-pooing what they described. When we all get to heaven, we'll find out who's right, who's wrong on some of these things. But the fact of the matter is, context always matters. Remember, as we read God's Word, we need to keep in mind the context of the verse that we're looking at, the verses before it and the verses that follow it, so that we can get the, the best understanding of the meaning of what God is telling us in the Word. So the context of this verse, let me just rehearse this for you. And you go home and reread it and you check it yourself and see if this is not the context. The context of this verse is in the setting of the Philippian church having been engaged in Paul's ministry of world outreach. That's the context. I am so happy with this Philippian church. It's like Barbara Pinkley says, I am so happy with Lakeview Church that in a deep freeze and my wind is frozen and could hardly get my car open, I wanted to be with them. And they were doing it over an extended period of time, just like 40 years. I don't know how many years it was for Paul and the Philippian church. And likely, I'll just ask you this, Barbara, do you think that there may have been times when the church continued your support and it wasn't easy for them to send it? Definitely, that's what she said. Do you think there may have been times that the Philippian church was supporting Paul and it wasn't always the easiest time and the easiest budgetary matter to be able to do so? Is that possible? And yet over the long haul, they continued to be faithful in it. This is an incredible thing. Paul's whole demeanor toward this church is one of deep love and deep affection for their faithful support over the course of challenging, if not sometimes discouraging times. In fact, that's the story of the apostles' spiritual testimony. Through great trials and great tribulations. We studied Acts. You were here, most of you. The shipwrecks, the snake bites, and the, the floggings, and all the, you know, through all of the trials and tribulations with God's help, Paul kept the faith. So here's another little one-liner for you this morning as I, as I close this down. Love, steadiness, and perseverance are the moral of this story so far. It is the context out of which that verse, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's in the context of uh, of, of love and steadiness and perseverance. By the way, by the way, that's what God wants from every church member. Love, steadiness, and perseverance. That's what God wants from every church member, every family member of the Christian faith, of the church. Oh, by the way, that's what God wants for every marriage. Love, steadiness, perseverance toward one another, and the covenant of marriage. Here's my version of what the Spirit is saying to me as I study this passage. And you know what? I'm going I'm to break here. It's 12 o'clock, so I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to get to 11. Okay? So, so for the, I got stuff I need to say. So, so for those of you who say, why can't he? It's only four chapters. Why can't he get on with it? It's because there's so much to say. So here's my version. You, you make your version of it. 
But make sure you read it in context and you've studied. Verse 6, let me give you the verse again, and here's my version. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So here's my version. And I reserve the right to edit this because I wrote this pretty quickly. When God saved me through my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he set me on a mission to bring him glory and honor as one of Jesus' disciples. That journey has been filled with highs and lows over the course of time. But my goal has always been to hold steady, to be faithful, and to do better with his help in my serve. Every experience, good or bad, is one that I am using to learn and be a more efficient service of service for Jesus. When it gets hard, I refuse to quit. I just lean on him a little more. And over the course of time, Jesus is working in me. And Jesus is perfecting me, which is my desire. And one day, when this life is over, and I am with Jesus, he will crown me with the perfection that I have been longing for all my life. He in that day, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, He will bring me across the finish line to perfection. And I will have a seat at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what I believe Paul is saying. I'm confident that this, this process of you becoming a better and better and better and more perfect servant of Jesus... This process started. I'm still doing it in your life. When you mess up, I'm still going to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you you need to do better. And when you do well, I'm going to hug you and embrace you and pat you on the back and say, well done. And one day, when it's all finished, the perfection that I have which I am working out in you in this life, in this broken body, I'm going to give you a new body and I'm going to give you a crown called, you made it. I brought you across the finish line. I'm not, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing this work in you and you can count on it. It's not so much about once saved, always saved. It's even about that. It's about the perfecting work that God began in us that He is continuing to work in us and that one day we can fully expect that we will arrive and that we will be happy because we made it to the end of the race. Well, I'm not finished, but I'm finished. Let's stand. I, my, prayer, my prayer in closing right now is this. Number one, we're going to close the service and, and people are going to begin to greet one another and we'll make our way to the cars eventually and that sort of thing. 
There's a prayer room right out here. It's might see where my direction is right out here. There's a prayer room. There's somebody in there or, or will be shortly. And if you need prayer for anything or if you've got questions about something that I shared or if you are inquisitive or you're, you're saying, look, I, I cannot explain why I am drawn to what he was talking about this morning. But I felt like he was talking to me and that I, I'm not sure where I am in my walk with God. And I don't have a walk with God. I can't name what it is. I'm not a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to perfect anything. I'm just trying to live life and make it. And I, I'd, like, I'd like my life to be about something more purposeful than that. And I don't know how to do it. And I don't know how to get there. I, I don't understand it all. That room's for you. The prayer's for you. And we have staff and we have people and we have lay, lay people who will be very glad to pray with you. You're welcome, even while I'm speaking, to just come and say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I, I, want, I want to pray. I want to ask God to let me become a part of the family business, the business of living as a servant of Jesus Christ because I know Him and He's my Savior. So let me pray in closing. Heavenly Father, this tremendous work that you called many of us to already and we have said yes to and we have saluted to you as the CEO. Lord, we, we have a lot of work to do in our lives. We came into this world with broken bodies and broken spirits. And just like you said we would, we all eventually reached the age of accountability and we did the same thing everybody else does. We sinned. And for that, we are guilty and need a Savior and someone to, to help us with that burden of failure and disappointment to our great God. You deserve better, and we didn't give you the best. Jesus came and gave His best so that we could be presented as our best. And one day, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a a crown or some kind of reward or whatever it is that Jesus gives as a symbol, as a symbol that he has finally produced himself fully, 100% in me. And there's no more brokenness. There's no more sin stain. There's none of that anymore because he's, it's all been passed away. The blood of Christ has covered the debt and I've been given a new body and a, and a whole new chapter of living. Until that day, we need your help. And we are, we are servants, we're part of, the, of this big, big company, Christian company, basically, that wants to serve you. And every once in a while, we get snotty with each other and we should stop it. And every once in a while, we fight with one another and we should stop it. And every once in a while, we criticize things that we don't have any business even talking about. And sometimes we come in so self-centered that if it's not all about me and what I think it should be and what I wanted, that I, I have some kind of a right to, to skip out on worship and be aggravated in my spirit and miss the whole point of God and the majesty of coming into your presence. Forgive us, Lord, for our attitude sometimes. Sometimes we've spoken against one another and sometimes we have not lifted one another up and sometimes we have not practiced supportive speech of one another in our very own company, part of the family, and speaking wrongly about one another. Forgive us for that. Some of us have not stepped up to responsibility 
Some of us need to be baptized because you told us to do it and you had a reason for it. It is a celebration, a ceremony. It says to the world that we belong to the company, to you, to the family of God. Some of us need to be engaged in a, in a Sunday school class. Some of us need to set the alarm an hour earlier and get involved in a small group, not for what we get, but for how we can invest in someone else's life. Somebody here needs to get in a small group. Somebody needs to, to drive a bus. Somebody needs to teach a class. Somebody needs to usher and shake a hand. Somebody needs to open up their wallet and be generous to you in the work of the kingdom. Somebody needs to go back to the foyer and hug a missionary. Somebody needs to go tell Mike he's doing a great thing and we're praying for him. Some of us need to hug that guitar player and tell him welcome aboard even if it's not your favorite thing. God, forgive us for not acting like family. And then Father, more importantly, if there's somebody that just needs you, needs you in their heart and their life, I pray that they would hear you. You're calling them today and they're hearing you. That's evidence to them that you want them and that you'll come and that you'll meet their needs. And so please do it, Father. We're, many of us are praying for that. And whether you do it publicly and we can identify it today or whether it happens in your home on a Thursday night, whatever it is, Lord, bring people to yourself. And I pray, Lord, that we will be faithful, that we will be steady, that we will be persevering, and that we will be people of love. And I ask you for this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said together, amen.